Welcome to the Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate podcast, where you hear the good, the bad, and the ugly of how real estate agents overcame challenges and grew their business. Check out the episode notes at crushitinre.com slash podcast. Now here's your host, Lindsay Favaza. Welcome back to the Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Favaza, and I am very excited to have across on the screen from me today, Nathaniel Getzels. He is with the Getzels Group out in California with Compass. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So we kind of got introduced in a funky way, but I was super excited that you were interested in being on the podcast with us today because... You do have such a great following, and I love all the content that you've been putting out. I've been watching you nonstop, and it's really, really inspiring. So I want you to take us back to the beginning, Nathaniel. When did you start in real estate and why? Sure. Well, you know, and uh, the funky way we got connected is great because uh, <laughs> that Podcast Cola, it's a great, great system. We can we Podcast can Cola, yeah. Well, let's give them a little plug. I love it. I'll put it in the yeah. show notes so people can check it out. But yeah, that's it was awesome. I'm going to look into it, too. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah. I'll connect you. Anyway. Um, so I got started in real estate because um, back, you know, I was finishing my master's degree back in college and uh, I taught in every level of school from preschool administrator to college uh, professor, except for first through fifth because, you know, save time. You know, it's good. Skip but, your uh, head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Elementary school. Yeah. But um, so I taught and everything. Um, you know, and I was getting offered all these great jobs. What was your goal in getting an education degree? Were you hoping to kind of get into education, but just didn't know yet or? Yeah, well, my whole goal was to, I thought I was going to be a teacher, right? I wanted to be a professor in college and be on the tenure track and never be able to be fired. And, you know, there was some, you know, uh, some, some great thoughts through that process. And I'd done research, right? I'd done more research than uh, a lot of, well, a lot of the part-time professors have done a lot of research and travel around the world and, um, you know, presented my research at all these different research symposiums. And I, I was all about the scholarly articles and my friends would even make fun of me because they go, are you going to mention another scholarly article again? <laughs> you know, and actually I even drove the, uh, the kiddos, um, you know, I have a little eight-year-old and I was sending her teachers uh, what they were doing wrong in school. <laughs> and I would show them, here's the scholarly article showing why what you're doing isn't right. So you here's were that guy. Yeah. <laughs> showing what, what, why you should be doing it right. Here, here's what you should be doing. They, they, didn't, they didn't appreciate it the same way I did, but, you know, that's okay. But so, yeah, the whole idea was to be a teacher, to help. Everything I've, I've done is from a perspective of what can I bring to the situation versus what can I take, right? Um, it's a with a, a mindset of abundance, like there's always more, let's all share, rise with the tide. Um, you know, we all win together, collaborate, right? Uh, I love collaboration. You know, um, one of my friends, he always used to say, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Yes, absolutely. Right? So I love that. That was always my mindset of, uh, with everything I did. But I was getting offered all these jobs, right? Great jobs in that field. Right, running schools, being a consultant for for education, being a teacher, you know, being a teacher at another university, and uh, it all sounded absolutely horrible to me. 
I mean, it was like I could not picture doing that for more than a couple of days and wanting to be alive. So, you know, because I think uh, the education system is inherently broken, right? And um, it actually applies perfectly to real estate on how it's broken, right? Uh, they teach you to uh, work hard, and that's not right. You should be uh, working smart. They teach you to uh, get out of debt. That's not right either. You should be leveraging your debt. That's why wealthy people don't pay taxes because you know, you don't pay taxes on debt. You pay taxes on uh, income, right? They teach you to um, get a good job and, you know, make get a salary. No, you should be uh, building wealth, right? Uh, and they teach you not to copy, which... Uh, I mean, cheating is different than copying. You should always, you know, uh, success leaves clues. So you should go and look at those clues. And, you know, one of the first things, one of the best advice somebody told me when I got into real estate, best and worst kind of, was you're not recreating the wheel here, right? And so you have to look at the other wheels to know what's going on. We have a quote here hanging in our training center. It says, imitate before you innovate. So it really is, you got to... Make sure you're watching what people do, and then you can make it your own once you've proven that you've got a good foundation down, you know? But if you right off the bat just start doing everything different, you're going to wonder why you're not successful. Yeah, you got to figure out and then grow from it. You, you, can, you can customize, do it your own way. I mean, I did nothing I was told as far as training goes when I started in real estate, but, but you still have to know some basic stuff, right? And so... You know, um, so I did not want to stay in the real estate space. I mean, not in the real estate space, in the education space as as far as a profession, because it just it didn't it didn't align with my values anymore. And uh, also, I always did want to uh, have my own business and kind of run, you know, run, run, run my own show, if you will. And you're never going to even owning a school. You're still stuck in so much bureaucracy. It's never going to happen. So. Um, what I did was I looked at all the things that I loved because I went, okay, I need to be at least, you have to be happy. And, you know, while I always tell people I don't want to be based just a hundred percent on passion because that's like being drunk and all the logic and planning and strategy goes out the window because you're just drunk. I wanted to do something. Uh, I wanted to combine all the things that I was at least interested in and still able to, to align with my values. So I took all the things I was passionate about. I'd studied the way people move, why they move, where they move, um, what the psychology of how families move. My little guilty pleasure at night was uh, getting up late at night, going on my computer and looking at Zillow, right? Looking at all those beautiful pictures of houses and then studying how the the, the trends of the, the market were going. So I did that and then... I basically combined all the things I was passionate about. And I'd already been investing in real estate unintentionally just because. You you started young. You started in college. Well, you know, I I moved out. I thought I was a genius. I got this beautiful apartment. And then I started paying these bills. And I thought, you know, this is this is horrible. Like and back then, you know, I had a roommate still even in the rental. And I'm like, this is this doesn't make sense. So we ended up buying a place near the college, renting out the other room while I was in college. So it paid the mortgage. I still worked full time, you know, so I had this, this background and this love of 
real estate from many levels, but more from a psychology, psychological and a, and a emotional level. You know, most people come to real estate from a transactional financial background, right? So what I did is I took my desire to still want to help, right? Because everything I've still continued to do was, what can I bring to the situation? I took my guilty pleasure of studying real estate trends and studying You're on homes, Zillow anyway. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> I'm already there, right? Uh, and then I took my uh, love of studying how people move, where they move, when they move, and put it into, uh, oh, and wanted the, the desire to want to work for myself, right? Yep. And yep. boom. That entrepreneurial spirit you definitely had. Yeah. And I literally dropped everything I was doing. It's one of those little quick decisions that changes everything, right? And they're great. And uh, I literally dropped everything I was doing and I turned and went full headfirst into real estate and never It's not even just back. a decision that you made. It's a risk that you took because this was a totally different path. You went to school for education. You've been now offered these jobs. You could have very easily said, you know what? I've been offered these jobs. I should just go this path because this is the path that I'm supposed to take. But instead you said, you know what? I'm going to trust my gut here and I'm going to pivot and I'm going to do something different. It was a risk that you took. And that's something that a lot of people aren't kind of gutsy enough to take those risks. So, well, that's true. And it was terrifying. And it was, you know, yeah. a completely sort of, you could say crazy, if you will. But you know, the big difference, right between high producers and low producers is uh, low producers fear failure, and high producers hate failure. But when you hate something, you know, it's going to happen sometimes and you accept yeah. it. And you just yep. work hard to avoid it. But when you're scared of something, you run from it and you never take the risks. So then you never get the rewards. So that. that's the big difference. High producers hate failure, but low producers fear it. So you can't fear something that... Because it's inevitable you're going to have failure. That's right. Especially if you're going to be willing to take the risks. So. Absolutely. In fact, I always tell my team, fail more, fail fast, and fail often. We had someone else on the podcast a few months back, um, a gentleman from Canada, and he had said, aim, fire, shoot, or something. It was something along those lines where it was like, don't take the time to get ready and to aim, fire, then aim. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, take the risk and then look back on it and figure out what it was. I totally butchered that quote, but that's okay. But I get, so I get what you're if, saying. Just do it. You know what I mean? Don't, don't worry yeah, about just it. take your shot when you can take the shot. And right. then think about it later, and then you can kind of come up with that plan. So I feel like that's very similar to the way that you handle things is just go for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not jumping off a bridge, but. No, but yeah. of course not. But it's like my mom, when I was a kid, actually, this is the first time I ever thought about this. But what, what you said made me think about this is um, my mom would always say, you know, uh, I'm like, mom, I'm, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm, I'm kind of like scared of it. She goes, be scared after. Do it. Don't worry about it. And then you can be scared all you want after, after it's already done. You don't know what to be afraid of even. Right. Like. Well, you know, the, the biggest thing that people are scared of in general is actually being scared of the thing. Not, not the thing they're scared of, but they're fearing being scared of something. That, that, I love They're it. fearing feeling fear. It's so true. So yep. if you just do it, it's already done. And then if you want to be scared about what you did, great. Or if you want to feel bad about it, you know, there's no, there's no benefit there, but sure. No. 
right? That's so funny. So I just did I it that. and I never looked back and I figured, you know, it was 2010. So everyone's running in the streets. Everyone's saying, get out of real estate. Real estate's dead. You know? So I thought, well, that's the most logical thing to do. Just get right in. And I figure if I could make it then, then I can make it anytime. Let's take a quick break to hear from Marco Stratakis, a leading producer with WT Phelan Insurance, as he shares his latest tip. Marco Stratakis here with WT Phelan Insurance. Every homeowner should have at least 500,000 in personal liability coverage, enough to cover common claims like a slip and fall on their property. If your client has a swimming pool or has high net worth and is a target for frivolous lawsuits, maybe they have a large retirement account or multiple homes in their portfolio. They want to ensure none of these assets get tapped into in case of a personal lawsuit. For all of these types of clients, you may want to urge them to increase their liability coverage above and beyond the minimum. Thanks, Marco. Now let's get back to the show. Absolutely. So tell me, as far as, you know, obviously the last couple of years have posed all kinds of different challenges for the business, but we're now kind of heading into even more of a transitional time in the market. And I'm sure that you're seeing it since you're so, you know, tied into the stats and the numbers and the psychology behind things. But what do you think, you know, what are your predictions for the future for the next few years as far as the market goes and things like that? Oh, okay. Well, um, I mean, we're going there. We are. We're going there. Wow. <laughs> we, we dove right in. What, like, what are you prepping for? Do you know what I mean? Like, what are you prepping your team for? What are mm-hmm. you prepping yourself for? Well, you know, it's a lot more of as a, as a mainly listing agent, I've been spoiled because I've been able to be the bringer of great news. I've been like the hero, right? And I've been like, oh yeah, here's so much more money and you sold so much faster than you thought. And I'm, I'm like a, you know, a Greek God, if you will. But exactly. But now we're going back to when I started, which was more of, you know, I'm teaching my team because I didn't have them when I started, but I'm teaching my team more to, you know, the, the terms of, do you want to list your house or do you want to sell your house? Right. Uh, and one of the things is I prepare without, without being negative, but I prepare the, um, the sellers for, price reductions. I sometimes get them to pre-agree to the price reduction. You know, okay, here's the price. Great. But in two weeks, if it's not sold, I want you to already sign this reduction that is going to be at this number on this date, right? Because I want to set those expectations because that way people aren't disappointed. At the beginning of anything, at the beginning of an escrow, at the beginning of a listing, everyone's happy. They're excited. They're feeling good. That's actually when you want to deliver all the bad news that you can, right? Oh, yeah, you just opened escrow in the house. By the way, uh, it's a little bit on fire in the back. Just so you know, that smoke, it's not a chimney, that's a fire. But it's okay <laughs> because it'll be out by the time you close. It'll be fine, Yeah. right? No problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, we have some mongooses in the back um, that we just can't seem to get rid of. But, you know, they're kind of cute. So maybe just go back there, spend some time with them, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and at the same with a listing. When, when you get it, you want to prepare. Yeah, we might have to do a price reduction here, here, and here. You know, it's it, the market is going to speak to us. The market will tell us where we're going to be. We're going to get the most money humanly possible based on what the market conditions will allow. The market makes the price, not you or me. I would price everything at $100 million because why not? If I get to choose, hey, yeah. let's go. You know, uh, but... So it's a lot more of that. I don't think there's going to be, you know, this massive drop 
through the bottom because equities at a pretty all-time high, right? Equities at all-time high. Um, there's still a big demand. I don't think as many people are going to sell as people think. Uh, sure, the people that have to sell will sell, and there'll be some houses yeah. on the market. It's going to be a have-to type situation. Yeah. But, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people, and I think there's going to be, in a lot of markets, a vapor lock. And that's where, you know, there's a demand for new homes, and they're still not there. I don't think inventory is really going to rise. Number one, people have such low interest rates, uh, they're going to rent those houses. Number two, rents are going to skyrocket. Um, You know, one in six homes is still being bought by an institutional investor. And that is not to flip. That's to hold, put in a portfolio, and rent. Right? I just saw, uh, I think, I don't remember if it was... uh, one of the institutional investors bought a whole town in Florida. I don't remember which one. I think it was Goldman Sachs or I don't remember which one. But anyway, yeah, they're, sure. they're buying yeah. whole towns, right? And this is not a new idea. This has been happening for years. In fact, one of the places I invest in is Augusta, Georgia. And even before the pandemic, there was people coming in. A couple of developers were coming in buying city by the block, block by block. So crazy. You know, uh, and as interest rates rise, which they are going to continue to rise, yeah, everybody thinks yeah. they're going to drop back down, which may be temporarily a little bit, but I think long term they're going up. They're historically yep. low. That money still we've been very historically cheap. low. It can't stay that yeah, low. It's 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 kind of unsustainable, really. It's so low. So, yep. You know, I think what'll happen is interest rates will go up. Less people will actually be able to afford to to own, especially in areas like Florida and Texas and North Carolina. You know, the rents will drive up and will become more and more of a renter society. California, for example, is already a 50% state where there's more than 50% of the homes are uh, privately owned homes are rented, right? Yeah. So it's just become more of a rental society, which I think will provide a new set of possible business opportunities for people that service rentals. I don't love it personally, but I think it does show the importance of owning and that long-term your money is very cheap right now. If you look at 1984, I think the uh, interest was at around 11%, right? Mm -hmm. Now we're we're complaining about six. Six. I mean, that's still and cheap we're money. worried that it's going to get to seven. Yeah, yeah exactly. Historically, <laughs> money is still very, very cheap right now. So yeah. I would not, uh, and you know, a lot of people ask me, but I would not be deterred from buying a house right now. And, no, not at all. You know, and I'm still, you know, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for short-term rentals still. Um, but obviously, yep. for owners, you have to have a much higher tolerance for risk. And you have to have a greater understanding of the market because there are a lot more moving parts. I think rentals are going to be the new currency. It's kind of changing the asset class of real yep. estate right now. And I don't think, I don't see at least in the next 15, 20 years that that's going to change. So, and as far as values go, I think this year we're still going to actually see them continue to go up. Not as yep. fast, but they're going to keep going up. There's going to be less sales. But their their prices are going to keep climbing, and I'm glad there's going to be less sales, and I'm glad that the prices are not going to be going up as fast because it's a much more sustainable, real, healthy market. Versus if we went up another twenty percent, we would be in for a major, major crash. It would be really, yeah, yeah absolutely. Agree. Now I absolutely do think agree. there are a couple markets where they are ripe for problems. 
right, where uh, wages ha- or the prices have far outweighed wages and inflation. So places like um, Austin, Texas, I think they're going to be in for some real problems. Uh, North Carolina, um, certain certain cities there, Cape Coral, Florida, for example, just to, just a few where I think those yep. are kind of bubbly, right? And those you yep. will probably see a drop. But, you know, in Austin, Texas, I was talking to a client and he goes, I'm, I'm making an offer on this house. It's listed at 900 and it just sold for 1.75. And I'm like, well, what's the rest of the neighborhood? It's about 900. I'm like, hmm. well, that's not healthy. I would not buy that house because what you did is you just bought a $900,000 house for $2 million, right? And that's yep. where emotion, yep. you don't want to let emotions drive you. That's where not letting only passion take over is a good good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me in this market, with the things that are happening and things kind of being question marks or, you know, agents are getting, they're getting tested. Yep. You have to be really good. You have to be able to do what you said. You have to be able to work with sellers and be able to really you know, convince them of the things that you're seeing in the market that they're not necessarily seeing. So explain to me how you stay relevant as an agent, how you set yourself up apart from the rest. Because I know you had told me before that when you started in the business, you kind of started really heavy on Facebook, even though it wasn't a big place for agents at the time. Um, So you would talk to me a little bit about, you know, that authenticity and all of that. So get into a little bit of that. What makes someone stand out amongst the rest? Well, particularly on a high end and specialty market, the first thing that you need to do is achieve top of mind awareness with your clients. And the best way to do that, hands down, is you... um, connect with them, right? You attune with them. Uh, Chris Voss calls it um, tactical empathy. Mark Goldstein calls it listening in. Um, one of my favorite clients calls it just feeling the vibe. It might be feeling, uh, yeah, feeling the vibe, feeling the flow, connecting, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. That's, you need to connect. You need to attune with your clients, right? So wait, it's not the number of followers I have on my page? Well, I mean, you know, you, as long as you have over a million, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a million bots. Then they're all quality of million bots. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That, that's going to really exactly. help you So, you know, <laughs> yeah, but that, that authentic connection, because then you build trust. There's um, a greater level of, of connection, of top of mind awareness. There's a trust there that then you're the trusted source and then you become an asset to them. Otherwise, you're, you know, it, it becomes your currency. Otherwise, you're, you're kind of a commodity that's you can trade out. I can trade one agent for another. What makes you different? What makes you special? What, what value am I bringing that people, other people aren't? And so it's a, first there's that, right? You build the connection. Yep. Then through that connection, you're also showing that you are an expert in the field. You know, whether it be luxury real estate, divorces, whatever it is, you're, you're showing that you have the knowledge, right? So first you, you connect and show you care. Then you have the knowledge in the space. And then you show that you have the expertise of how to execute it, right? If you're missing any of those three things, you're dead in the water anyway. Because if they don't trust you, they're not going to listen to the other two parts, right? And if nope, they trust you, but all. they realize you don't know what you're talking about, well, they still like you, but they're not going to use you because everybody knows, you know, no 10, 15 yeah. agents, someone's going to work with the agent who they know isn't smart or isn't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in touch with the market. 
Yep. So those, those are really important things. Um, so it sounds good, right? I want to build this credibility and this empathy and all of this stuff. But like tactically, what are the ways that you do that? Is it, you know, messages? Is it pop-bys? Is it, you know, what are the different things that people can do to kind of build that authentically? But still, you know, obviously they got to put a little effort in. Well, it's a combination of a few things. Number one, for example, right here, these beautiful podcasts. Um, I love it because this is literally, to me, my favorite way to authentically get in front of a lot of people and organically connect with either they the things I say resonate or they don't. And if they don't, I'm never going to hear from them. And if they do, great. Then I'm probably going to connect with them on a, a more uh, personal or uh, individual level. Another way that I really have gotten very acquainted with is uh, audio and video messages. I love them because people love text. You know, uh, nobody opens emails anymore. So to me, emails are, they're great for sending a contract. They're great for uh, if you need a heavy information download, right? Or here are some PDFs, but they're not a connector. I'm, I'm not connecting with anyone over, over email for me, for me. Some people are, but for me, no, nope. most people yeah. are not because the majority of emails aren't open. Now, the majority of text messages are open. However, the problem with text messages are there's no emotion. There's no context. You can't see me. You can't hear me. You can't feel me. Exactly. You can't get to know me on a deeper level on a text message. So what you can do, though, is you can do a voice text where at least they can hear you. They can feel the inflection. There's, you know, um, I hate texts because very often I'll send them. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, yep, well, we're closing the gate. And what they hear is, we're closing the gate, right? Closing the gate, And I'm like, yeah. wait, no, that's definitely not what I meant. But, I mean, I didn't mean it. you so know, aggressive. so I like. But if they could hear you, they could understand your exactly. vibe. Exactly. And then the best, and this is what I do before I meet anyone, if I have a new meeting with a client or even a digital meeting with a client, I will at first send a video message. Right. And if it's someone I'm going to meet in person, I'll do it that day. I will be wearing what I'm going to wear when they meet me. I will uh, like to throw in something personal in the message as well. Not just like, hey, I'll see you at 4 p.m. at this location. Look at me. I look good. You know what I mean? It's not like that. But it's like, (laughs) oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing right now. I'll see you at four. Um, You know. Oh, I just had a great lunch at this place or or I'm coming just from wrapped this place, up a lunch. Or, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, the weather it's really hot over here, or there's a little traffic there, so I suggest going this this place or whatever. Something where it's like a little bit more to connect with. It shows that you took time exactly. to yes. connect with them. Yeah. And you Love know, that. I'll even like on Father's Day, I took um, my hundred favorite people. Uh, no offense if anyone didn't get a message. Uh, but uh, I took my you know, 100 favorite people and I sent them personalized, you know, yeah. Father's Day messages, video, video messages. And I texted them. So not only can I see when they're opened, but I know they were opened. Right. And I know they're received and I know when yeah. they're received. Right. Because yeah. a lot of people are not checking yeah. their emails for uh, even for business things on, on. But they're always checking their phone. So I love connecting that way. Their phone's attached to them. And you're just building that deep relationship. Like social media, I still use social media as a great way to connect too. Um, I post videos every week 
Um, so you can see, you know, if I have a beard or if I don't have a beard or if I've gained some weight or lost some weight. But the yeah. key with videos online is you always want them to have items of value, be relatively interesting, but also be authentically you right? They have to be authentic and valuable. Otherwise they're dead in the water. I used to do really, really beautiful videos, right? I mean, I had three camera angles. I had the special lighting. I had all the things, the lighting, everything was perfect. I mean, I looked at that. I'm like, I'm beautiful, you know, but, (laughs) but on social media, the mate, the, the goal is to be social. So Um, it didn't resonate with anyone. It just felt like an, an advertisement and I'm sitting there and, you know, trying to fit that role also. And that was awkward for me and people could feel it would, it would, you know, it resonated through. So, yeah, it's, if we, when we first started doing all of our crush it videos, um, Anthony Lamacchia, the, the person who's behind all of our Mm -hmm. stuff on crush it, he would do in the office, we would film things, you know, with our camera guy and we would do stuff down the hall and blah, blah, blah. And then one morning he was like, screw this. I have a message. And he went on live from the page from his like home gym with a hat on, you know, like no one ever sees him out of a suit. So like to see him in a hat and it went crazy. And he's like, now I've got to do more from my gym. Like what the heck? (laughs) But it's true. It's like when you get them out of that you know, when you change it up, even just changing it up and, but showing another side of yourself and having it be more personal. Exactly. It's so valuable. Yeah, that, that authentic, um, personal connection, because especially if you're not in front of the person, if it's just some, another boring video that has no personal connection, nothing there, then, then it, they're just going to scroll past it. Right. But if it's like him yep. in his hat, in the gym, they're like, oh, there's a real person sharing something authentic with me. Let's, let's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It creates that connection. Yeah, I love it. So what is some advice that you would give to the people listening right now um, to grow their business? What kind of, what, what piece of advice would you give to them to say, you know, stop what you're doing and start doing this? Wow. What is it? That's a, that's a big question. Yeah. It's a big one. Um, well, I was going to keep you, you on are. your toes, You've asked me friend. a lot of good questions here. This has been a really fun, uh, however much time this has been. (laughs) I mean, we've been on for a while, but the actual recording is not long. (laughs) 30 minutes. We, we hit it. We did a good job. Uh, so then the one thing, let's see, well, a few things first is make sure you are change your mindset to be, what can I bring to the situation? Not what am I getting from this? You know, don't look at your commissions or how many sales you had, just how you're going to keep growing and collaborating and, uh, you know, increasing the velocity of your business. That's the key thing. Cause once you do that, then you'll, you'll have more money and, and, and business than you know how to do. Then it grows exactly. and you don't care and you're not focused on those And the numbers. key is yeah. just like with real estate investing with, um, selling real estate. If you keep going, you will win. If you keep going, be consistent and that will win. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the best. If you're the most consistent, you will do better than the smartest and the best. That's the key thing, Love really. Awesome. That's that's it. And for the business side, that's the key thing. Consistently do what you're going to do. It's like people always used to ask me, oh, what's the most effective marketing you know, thing I can do? What's the most effective marketing tool? Whatever you exactly. do that you it's stick with. It's whichever one you're going to do. <laughs> exactly. That's the key. Yeah. Because if you don't do it, it doesn't it. matter. Yeah. What difference does it make if you don't stick with it? Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, Nathaniel, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This has been so much fun. Um, we are going to put in the show notes all your links that we have for all your different social media so people can follow you as well. So please do that because he's a wealth of knowledge and you can see all his videos and some really beautiful listings and stuff that I saw in your on your things as well. So thank you so much today for joining us. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next episode of Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Agents Who Crush It in Real Estate podcast. We hope you learned some valuable takeaways. Be sure to take action and grow your business. You can check out the episode notes and more content from the show at crushitandre.com slash podcast. And if you like this episode and want to hear more stories, please share with others. Post on social media or leave a rating or review. To catch the latest from Anthony, follow him on Instagram at Crush It In Real Estate on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.